Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, May 29, 2013, and today we're reading from the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 2, titled, There is a Solution, on page 20, the very last paragraph, beginning with, Then We Have a Certain Type. And today's readers are Kimmy, Michelle, Laura, Sharon, and Fran. The share ID number for yesterday, that's Tuesday, May 28th, 4536. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps. Thank you. Um, This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. 
I will now call on Margaret Kay to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Margaret in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are by trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, video, film, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker's should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 2. There is a solution on page 20, the very last paragraph on that page, beginning with, then we have a certain type. And I will ask Kimmy to begin reading, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Kimmy, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate. Although he may find it difficult and troublesome, and he may even find he, he may even need medical attention. And um, the thing I love about 
this part of the book is that, again, you know, it just goes to show you that this book is really instructional. For somebody picking up this book for the first time, it allows them the opportunity to really identify what kind of drinker, eater they are. And I know that this has been so helpful uh, for me coming into the rooms 10 years ago because it really allowed me to put myself in that category. You know, am I someone who could moderately drink or moderately eat, give up if I needed to? Nope. Am I somebody who is somewhat of a hard eater if given, you know, some sufficient reason like falling in love, change of environment, that kind of thing? I could give it up. Nope. So then the book will go on to explain what the real alcoholic is. And it's just another way that I am able to identify my seat in these rooms. And I even love, you know, a couple of paragraphs before when it goes on to say, I can take it or leave it. Why can't he? Why doesn't he just drink like a gentleman or quit? So all of these uh these sort of clarifications allow me to sort of see what category I fall into. And it, that's super important in the beginning here because if I'm not a real alcoholic, then there may be another solution. There may be something else that I need to take care of my problem. If there is a real sufficient reason, like change of scenery or uh, falling in love, that's a good one, Then, um, and I could stop under those conditions, then perhaps I don't need to be in these rooms. So allowing me to, to really sort of introspectively and honestly look at who I am in terms of my eating behaviors allows me to really see what my solution might be because my solution is going to be different if I'm just a quote-unquote hard eater. And that, to me, coming into these rooms was really uh, helpful. And I know that you know some people struggle sometimes with putting themselves in that category. And I would say just you know keep coming back. It will become clear as you know we go through this book. So with that, I will pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you very much, Kimmy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The hard drinker. You know, we talked about the moderate drinker yesterday, and my, and my father's a moderate eater. You know, he's on vacation right now with my mom, and you know, before he goes on vacation, he kind of cuts back on what he's eating because he likes to indulge on vacations. Part of vacation for him is enjoying the local cuisine of wherever he is. And then when he comes home, he gets on the scale and he sees if he put weight on and he, then he curtails his eating un, until he gets back to his weight and he goes back. That's the moderate eater. He can take it or leave it alone. He enjoys it when he's on vacation. He enjoys it when he has a family function. And the other time, it's not that important to him. And the hard drinker. You know, I am a hard drinker. You know, if I explained to you my 20s, you would say, man, that girl should go to AA. That girl drinks way too much. But as I said here, it's a sufficiently strong reason. And that happened to me in my late 20s. I was at a bar. I was drinking with my friend. She, got, she wanted to go home. I was drunk. I'm like, I'm going to be a good friend. And we both got in my car. And I drove the wrong way down the highway and almost killed us both. That was sufficient reason. I've never had a drink again. I didn't go to AA. I didn't work a step. 
there was a sufficient reason and I stopped. But when it comes to the food, there is no sufficient reason. And just a peek ahead in a couple pages, it says we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force, sufficient force, the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first strength. But as a compulsive overreader, it doesn't matter the consequences. It doesn't matter if I go the wrong way down the highway. It doesn't matter if I'm at work and I lean down and my pants split open. It doesn't matter my doctor's telling me I'm 23 and I can't look up a flight of stairs without having to catch my breath. Because I am the real compulsive overreader. So it's saying here, if sufficient reason comes, and for temporary, yeah, when I found a boyfriend, absolutely I could curtail my eating for a month or two. If a doctor told me I had a problem, maybe I could curtail it for a week or two. But then that delusion comes in my mind, that delusion. The fact is that I am delusional. I believe the lie. It's not that I'm in denial. I believe the lie. If you put a polygraph on me and I said, I am done today, I would have passed that polygraph. Because I meant it. I believed it. But as a real compulsive overeater, there is no sufficiently strong reason. There is nothing that will make me believe that the food will not make this situation better, will help me feel better, will help me not feel depressed. So if you are the hard drinker, just like Kimmy said, there might be sufficient reason. You may not need the solution. And it's important that we find that out because this is a drastic proposal and a drastic solution. So you better make sure, and as sponsors, we better make sure that the people that we are bringing in this pro, bringing in the steps, need this solution. So with this, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Ditto, ditto to everything that Kim just said. And so here in the big book here, we are being given um, definitions or we're being explained to us different types of drinkers. And uh, so we have like moderate drinkers, and then now we're in this paragraph, we're talking about the hard drinker. And then the next one will be about the real alcoholic. So I just wanted to point out that, you know, not everybody who comes into our rooms today are compulsive overeaters. And there's a lot of people walking around out there who are obese, yes, but that doesn't necessarily make them compulsive overeaters. But it's so true that we have to identify ourselves. This is a program that, you know, I have to identify. I'm not com- I can't be comparing with everybody else. And uh this is about me and I had to come to this uh realization that I was. But I think we need to also keep it in the back of our heads. So not everybody is, especially in today's world with fast foods and um you know, oversized portion control. There's a lot of people out there that just don't have proper nutritional uh education. And um Anyway, like it's saying here, you know, the hard drinker, the hard drinker, if something comes along that gives him a really strong reason to stop, he can stop. And he can stay stop. 
but I could not. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to comment Stacey? on this paragraph? Stacy, Stacy, and then Janice. Thank you. Good morning. This is Stacy. Thanks for having this meeting this morning. And this this paragraph is really helpful for me. Um, from coming to the meetings and now working with a recovered uh, step sponsor, I really get that so many of the folks that I've been in meetings with for so many years are maybe not really the true uh, compulsive overeater. And I've had a difficult time maintaining abstinence um, because I was being sponsored by people that were perhaps the moderate or even hard drinker. And when I would ask, well, how how have you been abstinent for 30, I'm thinking of one person in particular, for 35 years, and the response was, my doctor told me that I would feel better if I stopped. And I was baffled because it didn't matter who told me what about my health, about any of the things that were mentioned. My intention was always uh, to be better, feel better, and to uh, to just live better. And I found that I might be able to do that maybe for a few days. But it wasn't until I got here and I was really able to transfer all of the knowledge that I thought that I understood from the big book for all the years that I was reading it into what we're doing now, that I have truly come to believe that I am a compulsive overeater of the hopeless type and there is a solution and it is in this book. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Stacy. Janice, please. Good morning, Ms. Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So we're starting with some definitions here. Definitions that I needed to hear. Definitions that I needed to hear. You know, we're talking about people who drink differently than me, perhaps. People who eat differently than me, perhaps. And I I used to compare myself. I used to try to see what made me different from other people, so I'm so grateful that the big book is doing that for me here. But it says something very interesting in this paragraph. It says, then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. He's got a bad habit. He may have the habit badly enough. He may be into a certain type of behavior around his drinking. And it may be giving him some consequences. Enough so that his doctor might say something to him about it. Or he might realize that, hey, I've moved somewhere different. I'm doing this geographic change in my life. And, and yeah, maybe I'm going to start different. I'm going to start fresh here. I'm, I'm not going to do what I was doing before. I'm going to change that bad habit that I had. And maybe I fell in love with somebody. Maybe there's something new and exciting going on in my life and, and this relationship, and I'm going to change that bad habit. But for somebody like me, a compulsive overeater like me, you know, this was a progression. I may have had. I may have been in this category once upon a time. Maybe. 
maybe I used to like to try to convince myself of that. Maybe it's just a bad habit. Maybe I've got to change that bad habit. But you know what? We're going to learn that once it changes from habit to obsession, once I cross that line, and I didn't even know when I crossed that line, but once I crossed that line, there was no going back. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter who was warning me, who might have, whether I did a geographic cure, whether I fell in love or didn't fall in love, whether there were consequences. For a compulsive overeater like me, it was more than just a bad habit. But it's good to know. It's good to know that there may be people out there. There may be people out there overweight, suffering some consequences. Maybe their doctor sends them to a diet club. Maybe their doctor sends them to a dietitian or a nutritionist and says, get a food plan and, you know, and maybe they develop some new habits and maybe it works for them. And I don't know what kind of a compulsive overeater or if you are a compulsive overeater. I just know that for me it was more than just a bad habit and I couldn't convince myself otherwise until I was absolutely ready. You know, so I'm so glad that even though he may find it difficult and troublesome, this man can also stop or moderate. moderate. But that was not me. And I needed to see and look at this definition clearly and say, is that me? Is that me? And see where I fit. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Let's continue to read on. Michelle, please, would you read the next paragraph? Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Grateful today. Thank you, God. <clears throat> but what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. And, um, you know, it's already been stated um, you know, by other people sharing in, in this meeting that, um, you know, the importance of this part of the book is for me to identify in. And when I first came into the program, and I remember 96 to 97, I was looking for reasons to identify out. Um, I was comparing myself to other people. I wasn't really carried this message about um, the physical allergy of the body and the mental obsession because that was there. Um, but what I saw was that um, I could, or I had the illusion of my thinking was that I could control still. Um, yeah, I had an experience when I fell in love that, that I I could restrict some food. Um, it was a struggle, but I did, and a change of environment. I remember uh, moving from the Midwest to Denver, Colorado, where there were people who jogged and ate healthy, and um, I, I hooked up with a friend, and we did that for a while. Um, but it was a struggle all the same. Um, but I always had in the back of my mind this, this thought that once I started eating, I had a hard time stopping. And so I left. I left from 90, after 97. I left but came crawling back because for me, I believe that um, I was in some way a moderate drinker and then became a hard eater, um, compulsively eating. Things did change. And even though... I look back and I can see that there was always that compulsion there, that once I did put certain substances in my body, 
um, I could not predict if I was going to be able to stop or not. So it was an illusion for me. Um, but I did cross that line. I did cross that line. And then there was a point where I did lose all control once I did start putting those substances, my key binge ingredients into my body. Once I started, I couldn't stop. I had not yet been carried the message that it was due to this physical allergy and the mental obsession that I couldn't stay stopped. And I I do, I have to identify in, and it wasn't until uh, this big book um, that we're reading today was cracked open for me in this meeting and by a recovered compulsive overeater that I saw this, that there that yes, indeed, I am a real compulsive overeater, and I need to identify in. I need to admit that. I need to admit that I'm powerless because that that is step one. But, you know, I, I sat around in these rooms before the message was carried to me and um, focused on, on abstinence. I focused on a food plan. I, I, I didn't really um, concede to my innermost self that, yes, I am a real, real, true compulsive overeater that has this disease. And I still had that delusion that, you know, someday maybe I could be, go back to, way, to the way I was in the beginning. Maybe, there, maybe I could go back and um, eat controlled. You know, they say that's, you know, the great obsession that, you know, I'm, I'm going to persist that thinking that someday I'm going to be able to control and enjoy my eating. And, um, and for a time, I, I really did believe that. And so it was so important um, for my recovery and to be recovered that I would admit this, that I am a real compulsive overeater. And, you know, on page 30, it, you know, it says that um, I have to fully concede in this delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And, you know, being in these rooms and this meeting and around other recovered compulsive overeaters um, and this disease progressing, getting worse, it finally brought me to my knees and, and I could say, yes, I am a real compulsive overeater. I did cross that line. I do have this twofold illness. Uh, but the good news is that there is a solution. Um, and, and so I, I don't need to feel hopeless. I just need to, to know that I'm powerless, that I'm powerless over um, this disease, this illness. That's what I need to know today. And I'm grateful to know that each day and that there is a solution. Um, first, I need to get abstinent. First, I, I need to know that I'm powerless and let go of the food and um, that know that there is a solution. And it is a, I do have a spiritual malady, and the solution is spiritual. But first, I have to be separated from my food. First, I have to know I'm powerless and that, yes, I, I really am a compulsive overeater. This is real for me. This is a disease. Um, I don't have these other options. I'm, I'm not a moderate eater, and I'm not a hard eater. I am a real compulsive overeater and grateful today to have had this message carried to me and to, uh, like has already been said, I have to identify in. I, this is for me to do. No one can do it for me. And um, grateful for these words here today, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Anyone else like to comment? On this paragraph. Hi, this is Julia. Okay. Okay. I heard Nancy, I heard Julie, and I heard Katie. So let's do it 
in that order, please. Go ahead, Nancy. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody um, on Vision for You. My name is Nancy, and I am a real compulsive overeater, recovered. Thank you, God. Um, and I love, this is a short little paragraph, but boy, does it pack a wallop with what it says, because it describes, I have it written in my big book, describes me to AT. Um, I don't know if I was ever a moderate drinker or a hard drinker. I mean, because I never tried to control my eating until I was in a desperate state, really. Um, it might be because I was, um, you know, kind of a party animal ingesting other things besides just food. I don't know. It doesn't really matter me, to me today because I know where I am today and I know that I'm a real compulsive overeater. I know that when I was eight years old, um, there was uh, trauma going on in my family. And so my sister and I went to stay with my grandma and grandpa. And I know that my grandma made roast beef dinner one night and I sat down and we all sat down at the table and that. I shoved my whole serving of roast beef in my mouth at one time. And I know that my grandpa told me at that time, he goes, somebody ought to slap her. And this is my grandpa who I adored. He didn't have a um, violent tendency in his body. He was the calmest, gentlest man I've ever met. And for him to say that, I know that that was when I first associated shame with food. I was eight years old. So was I ever a moderate or um, a hard eater? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that... um, I have always been a real compulsive overeater. And for me, I didn't decide um, to take any kind of drastic action anyway until I was 375 pounds. And I had had already four orthopedic surgeries and doctors telling me, you know, that you're too young to be having these surgeries. And, um, you know, most people don't have these kinds of surgeries until they're in their 50s. Well, now I'm in my 50s, but at the time I was only in my 30s. You know, I had every reason in the book to stop, but I didn't. And, yeah, I had tried it. I had tried diets. I had tried, you know, I'm like everybody else probably on this phone. I tried lots of things to stop or diet, I guess, you know. But I didn't see it at the time as a, you know, for the problem that it is, that I have a disease, that I have an illness, that I am powerless over to stop on my own. I had no clue. So, of course, I kept trying diet after diet, and I would get fooled because they would work for a period of time. They all worked for a little while. Um, I like to often kind of, on a funny side, say, yeah, they all worked until I got hungry. Um, But I am... I reached that point a long time ago where I lost all control of my food consumption once I started to drink. I mean, it was, I would, I liked the analogy of, um, I think it was Kim that said if she passed the lie detector test on her sincerity um, that she was going to stay stopped, that would be me. Okay, this time I'm going to, I'm going to start doing this. This is the plan I'm going to follow and it's going to work. And the last two relapses I went in anyway, on the day that I made that decision, I was binging my guts out. I was not just grazing. I was not just picking up a couple of this or a couple of that. I was binging. I am the type of compulsive over here that can eat a whole pizza in one sitting if I put my mind to it. And um, I, I am a real, there is no doubt in my mind. And I, when I work with my sponsees, I ask them a lot, do you find yourself in this category? Do you Have you lost all control once you start to eat? Have you, you know, I ask them the questions as we're reading through the big book. Because if they're not, if they can't identify, then this solution that's offered in this book isn't going to work for them. And I'll be wasting their time and my time. I could be working with somebody else. And it's not a bad thing. They just may not. It's um, interesting. Some, You know, somebody else talked a little bit earlier about you might not know 
Um, some people can just be obese but might not be compulsive overeaters. I wonder about my daughter all the time. My daughter's probably 100 pounds overweight. But I also know she can have a bowl of um, some brown, yummy stuff um, in her living room, and it can sit there for a week. And, uh, you know, I've seen her sit down and eat, and she eats quickly, and she eats really bad choices. Um, but I don't know if she's a compulsive overeater. And I used to feel guilty because I, you know, I think I taught her to binge. When she was growing up, I raised her myself, and we used to binge together in the evenings. But I've been able to let go of that through the inventory process. I've been able to let it go. And I may have shown her bad eating habits, but I've also shown her how to recover from it, what to do to remedy the problem. And so now that she's an adult, the choice is hers. Anyway, thank you. I am a real compulsive overeater, grateful to be in a recovered state today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And Julie, please. Hi, I'm Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, these two paragraphs, um, they they speak volumes. You know, all my life I think I wanted to be this hard eater. Uh, you know, I started out early um, overeating, same thing as Nancy, actually, at age eight. And I knew I was different than my friends, but... For some reason, I, I wasn't morbidly obese yet. And, you know, in high school, we'd go on diets and lose 5 or 10 pounds. And the day the diet was over, the other people would continue to be healthy because they learned something. I would go on a huge binge, you know, go eat three Jumbo Jacks, order three order fries, three Cokes, you know, to make it look like three people. And... I, I always thought, like, well, how come they're not doing that? And then each, you know, as I grew up and I became morbidly obese, I still thought I could be this hard eater, that if I found the right Weight Watchers, which I would go, I would lose the weight. Kind of like Oprah when she opened up her dress that day and she was in a bikini. And then that day, go binge. And I would never just gain a 50 back. It would be 50 plus another 20. And when I first came to OA in 81, I heard a quarter of the message. I heard get a food plan, go on gray sheet and get thin. But the chatter never stopped. And I still thought I could eat desserts, I could do this. And, you know, um, it wasn't until um, when I came out of this last relapse, I was um, out there for two and a half years after losing about, I don't know, 130 to 150 pounds. And the day I decided to leave uh, my weight and measured program after almost three years of back-to-back abstinence, I binged and purged in a Chinese restaurant. And uh, talk about how powerful this this, this disease is. Um, and I tried for two and a half more years to convince myself that I could do it by myself without program. Or um, I would go back and leave, go back and leave. And um, a good, good friend of mine who, who told me about these meetings, um, and I came back to OA on November 17th and um, put the food down because, of course, I can't work this program without it. And, oh, yeah, I am a real overeater. Uh, there is not a, a bone in my body that, that thinks otherwise. And um, once I was armed with the right information in these books, I was able to see that, that it's not about weighing and measuring, even though I choose to do that because it helps my body. It's about 
recognizing that I am this hard alcoholic, hard eater, and to offer my services to people in any way that I can. Um, I'm just very grateful uh, for this meeting because I, I hear the truth. And, um, you know, it's not a bad thing to be a real overeater because um, I got to have the solution finally after being an OA since 81. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm such a baby. Um, I'm so young in my recovery. Um, but anyway, thank you, and um, I pass. Thank you. And Katie, please. Hi, I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, well, these paragraphs are, you know, just sort of where I lived for a long time. I wanted, I wanted to be in that last paragraph that with enough information and enough reason that I could stop. I thought that that's what it was, that if I just had enough self-knowledge, if I had enough um, you know, if I if I positioned myself in a place where, you know, life was exactly how I wanted it to be, then I would not pick up. But that's not what happened. Um, I, uh, I got to the point where everything, you know, on the outside was what I wanted, and I ate anyway. And it didn't matter. <laughs> Nothing would keep me from eating. And I wanted to believe that I could fix this myself, that it wasn't a real problem. I thought it could never get any worse than it had been, you know, the previous years. And I thought, you know, all my years in OA, that all this knowledge I had of, uh, you know, I could quote, you know, chapter three and chapter five, those, you know, paragraphs that we read at every meeting, I could... I could recite those, but I didn't live them, and I uh, lost all control. You know, once I started to eat, it didn't matter. Nothing mattered. And, you know, I had to be beaten down to that point where and before I would be willing to listen to what people said who were recovering because my ego tried to tell me that I was smart enough to uh, control this and that I was smart enough that I could, you know, um, figure it out without doing what people said to do. I didn't think I needed to do, um, to follow a food plan. I didn't think I needed to give up my binge foods forever. And more importantly, I wouldn't admit what my binge foods were. I thought that if I just didn't eat sugar, then everything would be fine. Well, you know, it turned out that I could binge on anything. And so I've, I crossed over that line. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption. And, you know, that is exactly the place that I had to be. And, you know, I do uh, like the OA pamphlet uh, that we have or that list of questions because I could say yes to those questions to, you know, 9 out of 10 of them or 11 out of 12 from the time I was 15 years old. But I took until I was 27 years old before I was willing to do anything about it and surrender my will and my life to my higher power. Um, I really wanted to be 
just a moderate drinker, a moderate compulsive overeater. I wanted to be in that class, but, you know, you just can't change your spot. And, you know, I just uh, hope that those who are out there will stop trying to identify out, but will identify in and give this program a chance because it really can change your life. And what I didn't realize is that life would be so much better. I thought it would be boring to be, uh, you know, an active member of this fellowship. I thought the goal was to lose weight and go back to, you know, a moderate way of living. And that is such a low goal compared to the life I have today. But that'll pass. Thank you so much. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says here, but what about the real alcoholic? What about the genuine alcoholic, the genuine uh, compulsive overeater? The big book is helping people uh, to discern, you know, whether they qualify as an alcoholic, right? This book was penned in 1939. It went out off the press uh across the nation. It took off by storm. It allowed readers to help identify whether uh, this was the problem. I mean, before you embark upon a solution, you have to understand what the problem is. And if your problem is not alcoholism, well, then your solution is going to be different. Um, so it's the same thing here. You know, they're helping people discern, am I an alcoholic or not? Am I a real alcoholic or not? Am I a real compulsive overeater or not? It says, what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage, here's the clinker, at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Okay, so what the big book is helping teach here is about one aspect. We have a two-edged sword here. What they're highlighting in this particular paragraph is one edge of that sword, and that edge is the allergy of the body. Because people who have this allergy of the body, this abnormal reaction, are a distinct entity. It is a very distinct entity. The, the uh, doctor's opinion states, we believe that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So the big book is helping people understand this aspect of the disease, the allergy of the body. At some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. So alcoholism is not a matter of how much or how often. It's the inability to moderate or stop, you know, uh, once the person begins to drink even with increasing dysfunction and unmanageability, they are unable to stop once they drink. You know, when people think about a moderate drinker or a hard drinker or a social drinker, they think that um, these people use willpower to stop once they've started drinking, right? Once they start to drink, that they use willpower. But that is not true. The, the moderate drinker, the social drinker, they don't have to use willpower at all 
because one or two or three or four drinks are all they want or all they need. They get all they want to drink every time they drink, so it's easy for them to stop. See, with you and I, we have a different situation going on. We have loss of control because of the allergy of the body. The, al- we, the alcoholic cannot predict with any degree of certainty when he is going to stop using once he begins. It's the same thing for me. I could not predict with any degree of certainty when I would stop once I began. I would think I was just going to have a few bites. I would think that I was just going to have one bar, one pint, uh, one, one you know, part of a package. But I could not predict with any degree of certainty when I would stop because that uh, – sensation. It was more than just a taste sensation. When I ate certain substances, when I ate certain foods, my body was triggered and I ate more and more of that food. And that feeling only intensified. It never was satisfied. I stopped feeling. I stopped thinking. I numbed out. I just continued to eat more and more until I was anesthetized and sedated and drunk on the food. So, The big book here is helping people discern, do you have this abnormal reaction? Do you have this allergy of the body? They're only talking about the allergy of the body here because they're saying at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Do you have that component or do you not? That's the question. And it doesn't matter. um, Again, it does not matter how much or how often. You don't have to have done the things I did. You don't have to have eaten yourself into the quicksand like I did. Um, That does not matter. doesn't matter, you know, uh, your medical consequences. doesn't matter. The question is, do you have an allergy of the body? Do you have an abnormal reaction that when you eat certain substances, it triggers a phenomenon of craving for more of the same? That's the question at hand right now. And with that, I pass. Anybody else like to comment on this paragraph? Monica. Monica, and then Paula, please. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Monica, once again here. Diddle, diddle to what you just said, Leah. He begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. And like you're saying, the big book is helping us to identify here. What kind of drinker am I? And this is saying to me that I am a real alcoholic. I am a real compulsive overeater. When I pick up a bite, no matter what my mind tells me, and it'll be okay this time, it'll be different, you'll be able to have just one, if I pick it up and I cannot stop, I'm along for the ride. I am a real compulsive overeater. And I also wanted to to point out here, oh, you know, I could say, well, woe is me. Oh, my God, I am a real compulsive overeater. But, you know, there's a different way of looking at this, too. We've, I can also look at this, as, and this is what I felt was, oh, my God, I'm a real compulsive overeater. I have a disease. And this is what this book is teaching me. I'm not a big loser. I'm not weak-willed. I'm not this. I'm not that. That I had told myself for years and suffered for years. They're telling me there's a reason for this. Do I have to like it? No. 
but they're also going to give us a lot of hope. We're in the chapter. There is a solution. All right, I'm a real compulsive overeater. You know, it was sort of a relief to find out I had a disease. And now they're going to tell me there's a way out of this. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Paula, go ahead. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. So much has been said by so many different voices. That must be your voice. You must hear this. And that was only, that was it for me. He begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. But I'm going to go right back to, but at some stage, something happens. What happened? What is a stage? The distance between two stopping places. No distance anymore. No distance anymore. You know, oh, well, uh, the wedding, as they said before, whatever it is, then it became none. It became none. And then another thing for, for a stage is a degree of progression, a point reached until you reach this point. It's like a picture that you walk by, and there it is in the museum, and you look at it, and then you walk by it again, and you look at it again, and finally you look at it, and you see the picture. He's painting a picture. And until you see you in the picture, you will continue to walk by. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Who spoke before? Sharon, may I share? Sharon, go right ahead. Sharon, go ahead. Oh, okay. Thank you. This is Sharon in Colorado. Thank you so much. And, um, I'm just so grateful that I am finally identifying in. Um, I I just was um, deluded myself for years that I wasn't a real compulsive overeater. Um, that if I could just find the right diet and the right food plan, and if I could find this and I, if I could find that. But what it says here, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. And I could identify in with that so clearly with the alcohol, but it has taken such a long time for me to identify in when it comes to my eating. And I had to write just a couple days ago on step one, and it uh, says, we know that little good can come to any alcoholic who joins AA unless he has first accepted his devastating weakness, and all of its consequences. Until he so humbles himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious. Of real happiness, he will find none at all. Proved beyond doubt by an immense experience, this is the fact of AA life. And I looked up precarious, and it said, subject to continued risk, uncertainty. And that is exactly what went on in my life for all these years with the um, taking that first bite, not, not getting to the very core of my being and accepting by God's grace to the very core of my being that this is a fact for me. And until I accept that fact, I won't be able to live in the solution because I'm not believing there needs to be a solution so I'm so grateful to everyone who has shared, and I'm so grateful for this meeting. And with that, I pass. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Anyone else on the paragraph, please? Rose? Rose, go ahead. Thank you. This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, God, I just love these paragraphs that we've read today. And um, I want to echo a couple of things that were said. Um, But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. And as we read this paragraph and the um, others before it as well, it put me back to when my own recovery began. And when I was reading, and it's a thing my sponsor brings up often to point out, in the doctor's opinion, what, what defined for me, I crossed the line as a very young person, um, I, it, it wasn't just the obesity, it was the out of control with um, certain foods that I ate that I never had control of. And, and I just, I, 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 was, I was baffled, but I was compulsed to keep on eating, and that's what I did and, until, um, un, until I got the message from this book. But it's in Doctor's Opinion that says that um, it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life. And here's the uh, sentence, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defectives. When, when, I, when I first heard that when I was being brought through the steps, I could barely swallow that as the truth about myself. And I'm now, like, delighted to see, as Monica was saying, what a relief to find out that this is true. This was true about me. I mean, I ate all of that food because I was in full flight from reality. And with my college education, with all my life experience, I was an outright mental defective in that I had this disease of compulsive overeating. And once that was swallowed, then the doors of this program of there is a solution flooded in with nothing but help wherever I turned, which was to this book, to read the instructions and apply them to my life. And and these these um, paragraphs on uh, giving whoever's reading it the opportunity to see if they are one of these people and a compulsive overeater is so, again, I, I say the same thing, but as we're reading it, it just reaches into my own heart of how God's hand is behind every word that Bill Wilson penned to put it forth in such a way that to personalize it that I can read that I was in full flight from reality and I was an outright mental defective just based solely on the fact that if I put something in me, I couldn't stop eating no matter what it was. And as the paragraphs described, it didn't matter what the circumstances. I could never stop eating whether a doctor told me and I did fall in love and I did get married and I did do a number of these things, there wasn't a shred of ability on my part to control what I was eating. So with that, um, 
I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Hi, and hi this is thank Sheila, Madam Chair. Sheila, go ahead. Hi, thank you. I wanted to identify. This is a very crucial um, paragraph for me in my progress and recovery because um, trying to identify the level of hopeless eater that I am and I'm wasting time doing that, I know. Um, but one thing that, that's striking to me is that I can clearly see this definitely is a progressive disease because the way that I started out, I don't know, maybe in college, eating and kind of doing things with food and enough to bring my attention to it, and the way I'm doing it today has definitely progressed. And where today I don't see myself as the hard drinker that they're referring to here with food, I definitely have progressed from where I was when I was in college. And I think that's the part that concerns me, um, is that it's a progressive disease. So whatever stage you are in, I think for me, when I start questioning what I'm eating, why I'm eating, particularly why I'm eating, um, that that should be enough to, to get serious and sit down and do some work um, for recovery because you know, illnesses and health issues have come to pass. There are issues that I have to be concerned about. So where today I can say, no, I'm not a hard drinker, maybe more of a grazer, um, I do know that my disease has progressed from when I was in college to where I'm at today, and um, I'm grateful for the program and the discovery um, and the work that needs to be done. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila, and thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Laura, will you please read a vision for you? Laura, star one to unmute. Okay, I'm unmuted. And what page? You would find that on page 164. 164. And where does it start? Thank you. Please begin with, our book is meant to be suggestive only. Middle of the page. Gotcha. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. So to see to it that our, your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you happy. (laughs) May God bless you and keep you. Until then, I pass. 